0: You're listening to Arrowhead Radio. Do my prejudices influence communication of the gospel? What is my position as a Christian on mission? Is Christianity compatible with other religious expression? Is evangelism simply white colonization? Do all expressions of faith lead to the same ultimate outcome? we can boldly face the relativism that is influencing missions and overtaking the clear message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, join us as we discuss complex issues facing the local church as it serves Christ in obedience to the Great Commission. This is Mission of the Nations with host Grant Fawcett.
1: Happy New Year, everyone. It's great to be back with you in 2021. Uh, We've just come through a really lovely Christmas season with my family and and our church family had uh, some nice times together. We're a bit blessed here in New Brunswick that, uh, that our premier has put a priority on faith gatherings. And so we've been able to meet and to fellowship and worship together, and we're thankful for that. I have today with me my friend and colleague, Mark Dana. Mark is a missionary with Northern Canada Evangelical Mission, uh, which is the mission How are you doing, Grant? Hey, Mark, good to have How you, you here, brother. Yeah, we're, it's we're, good to be we're here. Over Zoom, so it's going to be a little bit, uh, you know. I hope you'll uh, as uh, put up with our our uh, technical challenges as our audience, but uh, but we're glad to have you with us. And Mark is working as a chaplain at a maximum security federal penitentiary, and so I've asked him to come today and to chat with me about that and what and what it's been like serving in that ministry. During COVID, and you know, even just in general, uh, there's a lot of attitudes that the culture has about those who are incarcerated and what incarceration even is. And so, I know that it's a special ministry that requires a special kind of uh, love and patience. And so, I want to I want to chat with you about that today, Mark. But but welcome. How was your? Holiday?
2: Oh, thank you. Our holidays was were good. You know, we missed family, obviously, and. Some kind. Sometimes that was just the psychological aspect, not being able to see family. But we did see our son and his family, so that was that was a a great great thing to be able to do this uh, this holiday season. And it was quiet, but it was. I can't complain. It. It it is what it is in the current context. Yeah. But I mean, we have so much to be thankful for, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm very thankful, so.
1: Yeah. So so tell me a little bit about prison ministry sort of generally, as you consider when you've moved to New Brunswick and initiated your ministry and consider, you know, where you're going to serve and you know, what, what draws you to the ministry and how do you get involved in, in prison ministry?
2: Well, you know, to put it in like the bigger context, I am involved in general um, ministry with First Nations uh, focus, you know. And I'm from a First Nations background myself, and a member of the Penobscot Nation. So it's the the greater um, context, and it started actually in Quebec when we were living in Quebec, and we were looking for a place to move to that would be kind of a central location for ministry. You know, it it was very difficult to make that decision of where to go, and then. Uh, we were contacted by a teacher up in north of Montreal, and he worked in the penitentiary, and he wanted me to come in and share like my my life story with the inmates there. So I'm long story short, we moved to this little place uh, north of Montreal, and there was a penitentiary just like 15 minutes away. It was it was not a maximum security; it was a medium security. And so I became a, a volunteer. And you know, like in the prison system, volunteers are really they're the they're the tops because they can just come in and serve, you know, they can serve according to their faith in Christ or their faith, any you know, whatever faith that it, it might be, but they have the they're not necessarily a part of the whole institutional part of the of the you know, penitentiary system. Okay. So as, and as so, in
1: contrast to like, say a chaplain, then like a volunteer has a different
2: sort of relationship with the uh, inmates. The chaplain is uh, kind of a funny uh, hybrid situation. It's ministry, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, there's always been a body of uh, the ministry part of the of chaplaincy, which is the chaplains themselves coming from different backgrounds and so there's that body, but then there's the the actual federal system, which is so there's like a contractor type relationship there, mm-hmm. so that even though like the chaplains are much different in their approach than other people in the system because mm-hmm. you know obviously they're looking from at things from a more ministry oriented like we would love to see somebody you know, completely change their life and become a person that you know, was a valued citizen and a contributing citizen. You know, It's, it's kind of old school, you might say, but that is, at our heart, we would love to see somebody come out of prison and just thrive as a, a human being spiritually, emotionally, physically. It's a holistic approach. I want to touch on that for just a half a
1: second because I have a question that is, it's related to Atlantic Canadian culture and probably beyond that, but we'll talk in that context for now. There have been a couple of instances in the last year of active shooter situations in New Brunswick, and there was one yesterday. Um, There was a young man who shot someone and the police. There was a manhunt, and they caught him, and they caught Mm -hmm. him, and they didn't kill him. They were able to detain him. And I, I had a discussion with someone about that. And I said, well, that's, that's wonderful that they caught him and that, that maybe he can get some help. And, and it occurred to both of us in that conversation that the reality is that most people don't think of it in those terms. Like that was a strange thing for me to say in the minds of many because many are saying, I mean, you don't have to look very far to hear people say, well, man, I I hope they kill him. That guy deserves to die. He scared me. You know, he scared my family. He should die. And then when the, when the the tragedy happened last year and there was a man who was shooting people and, and when he was caught, they had to kill him and everyone celebrated. Oh, how wonderful it was that this man was killed. And it came to my mind that the whole ministry of serving in a prison in a gospel sort of way is an opposite attitude of that, like not celebrating the death of the wicked or those who have done wrong, or maybe even just are mentally ill, but maybe they need help, and not celebrating that, but serving to be a part of some kind of restoration of that person holistically and hopefully, Lord willing, spiritually.
2: You know, there's different things at play here. Like if you it kind of um, separate it out just a little bit, and there's there's a justice justice issues, right? We really, it, it's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing that we have a thirst for justice. That we actually believe that justice is something that needs to be done. It it really does. It, to let it go would be wrong, right? Right. Absolutely. So that is, there's that justice aspect there, but then there's the um, my neighbor type thing because it doesn't take very long or even a relative. Like we look back in our family and we thought, saw, Oh, this person did that. Yeah. What is the first thing we want to say? Shame. Well, I wish he wasn't my relative right. or, you know, he's not my relative, you know? So yeah. we, um, easily, very easily. And I think we do it more than just in a, a situation, an extreme situation like that. We say, well, that person, he's not really human. Because he's less than. So we don't want to see ourselves in the terrible acts that people do. And I don't want to see myself in the terrible acts. Because some of the acts are really, you know, like they're in different levels. Family members, you know, it's like it's a whole uh, society type thing. Even police officers dealing with these kind of things, they're living it they're living it right they yeah it's not like a theory and and uh you know just going back to what you said that actually it seems like to me and you i could be wrong but it seems like the police would rather arrest somebody alive and put them to trial than to actually kill them because mm-hmm. when they or, or have the person kill themselves because it seems like they're taking something away from other people by doing that right the fact that they don't give their part of the story in And uh, so anyway, that's uh, one of my heart uh, aspects of ministry is the restorative justice aspect. It brings out the human aspects because the system, the system, the way it is right now, the way it's developed, it is useful. But it has dehumanized the person, including victims in the whole process, because what it does is it quickly takes the offender out of the situation completely Mm -hmm. for the protection of the victim and of the society, puts them in a situation that's completely apart and isolated. Isolation probably is the key word there. Okay. Gives them a number and it takes their wallet, takes the things that would make them citizens. So they're stripped of that. And I'm not saying that they sh- this should not happen. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that in the whole process, it's a dehumanization of every, everything. Because even in a trial, it is not John Doe against Jane Doe. It's Doe against the Queen okay. of Canada. Right. Queen of, of England. It's, it's the crown. So the crown is, is, is a society, right? It's... Right. Right. It's not a a personal thing. It becomes very impersonal for everybody involved, right? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when crime is a very personal personal issue, it's a sad reality. Mm -hmm. I can only say it comes from the bad choice that, now this is from my biblical worldview, is the bad choice that mankind made Mm -hmm. to actually say, I can live on my own. I I am my own God. I can judge what is right and what is wrong, mm-hmm. what is good and what's bad. Yeah, and trace that back to that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right, that that Satan had promised that if you if you eat of that tree, you're going to be wise and you're going to you don't you won't need God to tell you what's right and wrong. You can actually decide for yourself. Yeah, you know we're self-centered beings. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not always a bad thing. Like, I think we had touched on that just in our personal conversation that loving yourself is not a bad thing. Because like what Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind, and all your soul and your might, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So let's say we all love ourselves, but who we uh, relate with, first and foremost, that's what, like, what Jesus was saying. If you love God with mm-hmm. all your heart and Soul, Mm -hmm. then you're in a position. I'm saying this, this is me contextualizing it. You're in a position then to love your neighbor, right? And then Jesus said that parable, like, Who's my neighbor? And you Mm -hmm. might say, Well, are they my neighbor? Maybe that one person is not neighborly in any fashion, they're completely antisocial, yes. But somewhere along the line, there's family, and even the victim Mm -hmm. is human and is the neighbor that. You know, it's more neighborly that you can actually help. I think that that whole passage, right? Like
1: our all of our love, whether we're loving ourself or our neighbor, irrespective of who our neighbor is, because I think that passage when it says neighbor is suggesting all of those in our broader culture. But the the love for those things have to be informed by a changed heart. And I think that that's what that's saying. Our conversation has made me think of, of something that someone told me recently, I have a friend who's involved in the legal system, and he was present for a court case recently where there was someone who had died. Someone was killed, and they were killed by someone accidentally. And my friend is a Christian and and said that it was the only time that he's seen both justice and restoration take place in a courtroom because... What happened was the young man who killed this man, he was not found guilty of having killed that person maliciously. It was found to be an accident. And then the children and spouse of the man that was dead went and embraced the young man and, and told him that they had been praying for this outcome. And that, that though justice was served and the process went through and, and all those things happened, restoration happened because he was forgiven by people who believe in, in God. So their love was informed by a changed heart. Their perspective of the situation wasn't to wish the worst possible outcome for the young man, but to see restoration and forgiveness happen. And I think in a real way, like when I told my story about the active shooter and how everyone seems to jump on wanting to see that guy killed, I think as Christians, we need to think in a way that's more informed by our changed heart, by a love that is informed by loving God first. And seeing someone come to justice in a way that gives them the potential to be reformed or restored or, or saved, I mean, that's the ultimate blessing, if we could see that. But
0: I just, I yeah. struggle
1: with seeing Christian people that celebrate the death of the wicked, you know, or the death of those who are maybe mentally ill or, or in the worst yeah. possible week of their
2: life, you know, and I don't even think that's like what the scriptures teach us. Like, we should not do that. Right. Because that person's made in the image of God. It's like, it's not something that God is going to be rejoicing over either. He's not like that. Right. He, he would rejoice over that person taking on a new life. And I think that's what we're talking about here. As a chaplain, I'm not looking at just self-reformation. Well, we'll just turn this person to a good citizen. It's much further than that because me as a chaplain, I could be in my heart, like at any particular point, be like that person saying, you know, that guy, I'm glad he's here because he really is a bad guy." He deserves to be here, and and at one point it's true, but another point is that's not restorative. Mm -hmm. I'm not looking at him and saying, you know, this person is really potential for the kingdom of God. He could be completely transformed as much as I could, because my old selfish self, yeah, will always produce the same kind of fruit.
1: Yeah, I'm glad he's here because here is where I can introduce him to Jesus. That's that. a different attitude, you know?
2: And sometimes God arranges that Sure for he people. does. Absolutely. They say this is the best thing that ever happened. Yeah. Which if you look at the, the environment, well, especially like in a maximum, it seems that people want it to be the more drab, the more uninspiring, uh, the more institutional you can get even as a chaplain being in there you're looking at the walls and like you don't want to look at the walls you don't want to look at those pipes you don't want to look at that whatever you know right it's like the whole atmosphere is like that and then you got people in there that are negative because of the way they got them in there. And so they're influencing one another. Right. It just sometimes it takes something cheerful just to say like a small thing. It's cheerful. Yes. Hello. Or you like, no, like you're a person, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. And we cannot deny that these people
1: are human beings. I think we contribute to the culture of death when we deny someone's humanity for our own ideas of justice or, or fairness or whatever. And I think that that's a, a dark place for us to go as Christian people.
2: Yeah. And, uh, in the penitentiary, there's, there are, Volunteers that come in and it's a positive thing. People like inside just wait for the volunteers, they value them a lot, you know, because right, right. they can just sit here and talk. And even the the government is recognizing that the more you uh, you dehumanize somebody, the more they're gonna act like an less like, like a functioning uh, human being. And you know, mental illness, all these things. It, it's not that the person is less. They are not less. They're, they are valuable beyond what we can understand. Right. And they're sick. They need help, right? Well, and there's a theological
1: treatise that's a part of this whole conversation, Mark. I mean, the reality is that without the redeeming work of Christ in the Holy Spirit in me, I'm that guy. I am capable of and would be happy to commit many of the crimes, I'm sure, if i hadn't been made new by christ and so for me as a christian to sit out here and feel superior somehow to the point where i celebrate the death of a criminal i think ignores the theological reality that the only thing that
2: makes me good is jesus giving me a new heart that's kind of the whole story of the bible i mean it's it's written in every story like that yeah david was a man that loved god but he was a man after god's own heart but look what he did right um the very best the best you talk about the best of the best and uh abraham look what he did there's nobody in the bible that except for jesus that actually god says he totally pleases me he has there's nothing in him that displeases me at all yeah but you don't he ended up, according to Roman justice, a criminal. Yeah. He was treated like a criminal. Back then, they were doing the kind of justice that you were talking about earlier. It wasn't like, oh, well, we're, we'll do anything. You are completely unhuman now because you're a criminal. Like, we'll take everything away from you. Yeah. You'll be completely shamed. We'll take your clothes away from you. And We'll let everybody stare at you. Yeah. I mean, it goes really far, and and he did that, I think, to associate with the criminal, mm-hmm. all of humanity, because him, criminals are human, mm-hmm. and so are we, and then some of the sins that got criminals in prison, we also indulge in.
1: Right. And
2: I mean, I'm not saying that, I'm saying as a culture, we indulge in them, but when they get over the line, then we... Strongly condemn it, which is which is great. But you know how you know that fine line there. Oh yes. Well, I, I can do that, but yeah, this person's like they're over the line. They right. they need help. Right. I don't. Yeah. When you think of Go the ahead. the Inuit people up in the northern part of Canada, right? Yes. They live in small communities, and uh, they often have young men that I've seen this pattern. And I was thinking the same thing when I saw that young man with tattooed up and all that in the paper. Yes. Um, there's a growing amount of young men like that in that age group that is filling up prisons, right? Right. Well, you take a young Inuit man and he got he does something because he's completely intoxicated and whatever. I'm not. That's not to downplay because whatever murder is murder and right. All uh, well, the. These sins are sin. But as soon as that person does that, they they're put into a holding cell, and then the first airplane comes out, takes them completely out of their community, mm-hmm. down to a place where they're put in with other people who've done other offenses, probably many of the same age group. Then when they finally get through all that process, they're actually being enculturated in the southern culture because some of them could hardly speak English when they get here or, or French. Right. So they're learning French. They're, um, they're learning the, what life is like in the South. They've never been there. And then they're put into a, an institution. And right. so they're, they're reading English. They're learning French. They're learning the culture of the South. They're far from their community. <clears throat> they can just phone them, but completely isolated. And they feel like this is a life sentence because if they can't get back home, that's their life. They've never known anything much different, right? Right, right. They're learning inside. And I just think it's a terrible thing to a place for someone to learn. Right. It, it's, it can be good, but there's good aspects and they might get good grounding in certain things that other people don't even get. Yes. But anyway, so that's that isolation uh, from a cultural point of view. And it has been also pointed out that someone from indigenous culture would often Freely admit to what they did, which in the just system you don't do that. It's not even recommended. Like even if you've done it, it, I say it's the morally right thing to do. Yes, but the system says, "Well, don't do that." Yeah, if you do that, you're just giving yourself completely into the punishment.
1: The reality of what you just said, I think highlights the importance for Christians to take the initiative to have ministry in prisons. I mean, if, if there's all of these young people in Canada that are in prisons and they're, the only education they're getting is what they're getting from their prisoner peers and not from chaplains or, or gospel teaching, then, then that's kind of a little hopeless sounding, right?
2: It is. And you see hopelessness there all through it. And it's not fun. It's not fun without hopelessness. Uh, It's not fun seeing when somebody is acting like you would not believe that somebody would act, you know, but this almost become the, the regular rule, right? Another aspect is the guards that live in that, the guards live in that environment and they also need somebody to come along and just, you know, because they're, they're living in that heavy environment. Okay. And that, Animosity uh, day in and day out, right? They wow. they have to go home to their families or they, whatever, you know, or even if they have no family, they've got yes. to bring that
1: home. And... I think a good challenge for some of us who have that burden might be to take the initiative, maybe maybe take some time to uh, to do some outreach and find out what's involved at a local prison or lockup or penitentiary and having a ministry, a Bible study or prayer with. Guards or
2: prisoners or both? Well, any any opportunity you can see around you, like, yeah, I think that's where we should be focusing. Um, it's, it's wonderful to be able to meet together as Christians and celebrate Christ. And yet it's so much more than that of mm. actually being challenged. And I think, like I had said before, I think we're privileged to people who are working with other cultures, working with the people that are kind of by the general, society considered nothing we know that god doesn't count them as nothing right and we see the scriptures from a maybe a another perspective that somebody wouldn't see a person who would make a statement like you said well they've got a view right and and they think that's that's right that's the right thing yes but they don't see i mean the reality uh, that every
1: human life is an image bearer of God has something that has struck me over the last number of years repeatedly. You know, as as you consider, I mean, this whole conversation and, and you consider the conversations about abortion and euthanasia and homosexuality and all of those things, the reality that Genesis teaches us that everyone has value because they are made in God's image should apply to our thinking. It should inform my my understanding of other
2: people. Yeah. It'd be good to identify some of the things that hold us back. And I think I'm trying to do that. Let God speak to me in my life about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think of that story of Naaman and he, uh, he was that little young Israelite girl that told him about the man of God and how he who was suffering from leprosy could be healed by this man of God. And he, in his worldview thought, oh, okay, well, he was so close, so so tight with the uh, the king that the king, well, I'll I'll contact the king of Israel and we'll we'll set this up for you, you know, guy. Yeah. So uh, so he went there and he he brought his attitude with him, right? Which was, I am a great man. I'm an honorable man. I deserve to be healed. When Elisha kind of snubbed him with the protocol, didn't even come out and talk to this great man. Yes. And sent his certain. That was a snub. Yeah, he got a little bit angry, and and when the servant told him to go dip in the the muddy uh, Jordan River, he was like, "You think I'm going to do that? That's mm. way below me. That's below my status in life, right?" Right. But he had enough people around him that were good enough to tell him, you know, if he told you to do this, you came all this way. Why don't you just do it? Right. So I guess it seemed he laid his pride aside and went and dipped in that muddy water seven times, just like he was told. Yeah. Came up, came up clean. Yeah.
1: I'm going to change so, I mean, gears on us a little bit, Mark. And uh, I, I had before we finish up, I had a couple things I just wanted to to get your your thoughts on. But uh, I've been wondering what it's been like for the prisoners in prison during COVID. And I'm wondering a little bit uh, what it's been like for you to go in during COVID, if you've been able to, or if, if that's been restricted. And then I just want to have a brief chat at the end about something that's related to, to COVID with the prisoners. And we
2: talked about it. Well, better. presently, there's no volunteers allowed in. there. The, the restrictions are, are quite tight right now, but they are allowing chaplains in now. It was okay. not the case since uh, COVID started until basically October, there was no chaplains in the institutions. Okay. And itself, like, we felt that we were non-essential staff uh, and uh, that we felt that, you know, we were essential and that that was uh, something that was maybe an oversight by the or a lack of value of that particular of the role, right? Yes. Um, so the chaplains did what they could do. And some of them went on the radio. Uh, there was like uh, be a radio station that went inside and they talked talk to the guys and let them know they cared, right? That they were, they were not abandoning them because yes. it might have seemed like abandonment, right? Right. And um, so then the guards continued on. And the, in Quebec, there were actual deaths and they were, you know, it was in the institution. And I'm not sure if guards, you know, got it and, as well. But uh, he, um, he was given an opportunity to go into the wor- one of the worst institutions and work as a kind of a volunteer. So he went in in the worst of the worst, and uh, he worked there. And I know him. He's, he's a Christian, so he values human life. And so yes. when he left, the guards, his fellow guards applauded him for his, mm. his sacrifice. There's not too many people. Would put themselves in harm's way like that. Right. Or either for the prisoners or for fellow guards, right? So I, I thought well, that was commendable. So, anyway, right now, because of uh, in New, New Brunswick, there's, it's, uh, we're at the orange level, but we're not at the, uh, the red level. But I'm sure right. if it went to the red level, we would not be able to go in again. And, no. and uh, that just, it's what it's the worst of is the relationship thing, you know, like it's just cut off. Because of the security issues, and you can't, you you might be able to go through the lines and get some kind of phone contact or something, but it's very difficult, and uh, it's just the reality of the system and what's happening with COVID right now. So yes, yeah, we have real reasons to to be concerned because it's probably more it's it's more likely that someone from outside will bring it into an institution than because the institution is like one big house in a sense that it can spread so much faster in that setting.
1: In your experience, have you sensed that there's fear among the inmates or, conversely, among the guards about COVID? Or is there an ambivalence, so it's it's no big deal? Like, what what has your experience been?
2: Well, I think we're all living with the same basic feeling of a threat. Mm-hmm. But then each one, see what in my experience and observation is people – kind of decide for themselves how they're going to deal with this. Like some will say, oh, well, I'm going to die anyway someday. So why should I bother? And then, obviously I heard someone say that, but then we can say it's not about just us. It's about other people, right? Right. And even that person, their family might really miss them if they're gone, right? Beyond what he would understand. Right. Okay, so. Uh, there's that underlying pressure that everybody's uh, dealing with, and uh, I don't know what it, it would be different from place to place. If you were in the red zone and there was lots and ca- lots of cases, then it would be different from some place that you know is less. We we have a, as humans we seem to cope in our our own ways. Like you yes. know, like it's hard yeah. to be inhuman that way. We could justify. We could say, oh, it's a myth. We could complete. We could do whatever, you know, and we just, as Christians, I think we have to really try to get an idea, what is God doing in this thing? Well, okay. how should I react? How yes. should we work at, should we react as a church? What yeah. should we be doing? Yeah. Around the world, the church has taken on different forms, like in Lebanon with the explosion. The yes. Christian church is pretty much the one that took the lead in the, in the rescue efforts. Wow, that's awesome. It was super awesome. Absolutely. Well, there's
1: been some other conversation lately too. I, I saw an article recently that there was, I don't remember exactly which region it was, but there was a region in Canada that was giving the inmates in jail, the COVID vaccine before some other groups that were socially considered to be more important. Now I'm not making a commentary on, on, who should have it first or who shouldn't. But what I am wondering about is the attitude that the inmates should just not have it. Not that they got it necessarily before someone like a doctor or something, but that, that they just shouldn't be at the top of the list at all. They should be near the bottom. Like that seems to be the attitude of response. And I think it harkens back to our earlier conversation about because someone's behind a fence, we dehumanize them.
2: Well, I, I, I really think it's part of the culture that, we uh we kind of grew up in and uh i really love that that uh movie the or the book the miserables. okay and i don't know if you ever but it it really touches on that the whole idea of crime brings your status down and it, it's fine like it should in a way it should bring your status down but at the same time status should be able to be restored as well because if the person does change they should be able to i think they should be able to regain their status christianity because of christ can do that right because of forgiveness because we're all sinners because the new it's the new life in us it's not the old life like we're trying to do on our our own yeah because that could get us in prison or that could get us to the head of a religious organization, but it wouldn't do any better for us one way or the other Right. that way, yeah. as far as relationship with God. Yeah. So anyway, that being said, well, that's a political decision that they make. Right. Um, just depends on how you think if they thought it through, you know? Yeah. And really it seriously or it's just like political expediency or something.
1: well I, and i think it comes down to like who deserves what and you know we, we we hear paul in the new testament say i am the chief of sinners right and yeah. and and i i know that i've heard many a sermon that has said you know we need to all think like paul and consider ourselves to be the chief of sinners but we, i think what we need to do is consider the scope of that statement it's very easy and trite to say, oh, yes, I'm the worst sinner I know. But if we're going to apply that, that means that we are affirming that we are just as bad as the sinners in the prisons. And yeah. without that redemptive work of Christ, because that's what Paul was saying. I mean, he ended up in prison, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and, and what he was saying was that without that work of Christ in my life, without that new heart and new nature that I am depraved that I am capable of and guilty of breaking all 10 of the commandments. And uh, I think that's our attitude. I think that if we all did really think that way, maybe we would see more, more interest in volunteering uh, at the, at the prisons. There are so many prisons. I mean, in, in the city where our head office is for NCEM, there are five, aren't there? That that's, that's a big mission field.
2: Yeah. So just to tie that back to uh, Naaman, yes, he dipped in the water that was. He knew the water was better back in Syria, but he dipped in the muddy water because that's what God wanted him to do. So right. I'd say that going into a prison is like dipping in the muddy water. Oh and, wow! Yeah, and the re- the rewards are are great. I don't think you talk to too many serious be- volunteers that don't say, you know. I'm equally probably come out of that penitentiary more blessed than average person. Yeah. And that make that makes no sense. Yeah. Why would you go in? Why would you come out blessed? Yeah. Well, it just is. It's is because it's uh it's going to the the people that that God wants us to go to. And that person has a choice. Yeah. They can just like us, we we have a choice. We could say, oh well, I can make it on my own. I can can get myself out of this, like I can do, or I can continue the way I'm going and that's all good, right? Yeah. But reality, that's not what is being said and throughout the whole story of scripture, it's saying, you know, basically very good men, very smart men have over and over made wrong decisions that have totally ruined their life and ruined their kids' lives after Yeah. So I'm when I'm looking at somebody that's really, really considered bad, like gangster and all that. Yes. I'm you know, I doubt very much that person had a father that was there. Right. I doubt very much that he had a family that was supporting him. They might have, possibly, but most likely, no. And most yeah. of the stories are like dysfunction like in the family from generations, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That's all a lot to think about, Mark, and uh, and we, you know, I would encourage our listeners to uh, to pray for you and your family as you continue on in that ministry as you're able to, and and we'll do that as well. And I just want to thank you for joining me today to talk about this uh, this ministry and what a wonderful opportunity it
2: is. Well, thanks, Grant. I know how important prayer is for me. I, re- I really need that. I can see how God works in little details. In that setting that's just awesome you know so i appreciate you know, people's prayers
0: this has been a broadcast of arrowhead radio a ministry of arrowhead native bible center visit our website at arrowheadnbc.com for more information look for a new episode next week wherever you find your favorite podcasts